Remain standing while I read a passage from Matthew's Gospel out of chapter 11. Starting at verse 25, I'll read to verse 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we thank you for this, the voice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that calls to our hearts as we sang this morning. And we ask now, Holy Spirit of God, fill this place. Open the ears of the people that they might hear from you. Open our hearts to receive the indwelling word, which is life. And Father, we ask that you would glorify yourself and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world for our redemption. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. And you can have a seat. <clears throat> so some context for this passage. It begins in verse 25, at that time. What time was that? Well, this passage is written right after, if you look earlier in Matthew chapter 11, it is right after Christ has... Um, stated the woes, if you will, on the cities who had refused to repent. The cities um, of Galilee where he had gone and done his preaching mission and had done great and mighty works. It's also at a time um, which we find if we look over into Luke's gospel um, and Luke's passage. This is after the 70 that Jesus has sent out have returned. And they've returned with joy, having witnessed the power of God in their ministry as they went to and fro to the places where they had gone. And so the picture as we come to this verse is a picture that is all familiar to us. The church being sent into the world in like manner, as the Father sent Jesus into the world, so he has sent us. That is in John's gospel, as the high priestly prayer is uttered. And just as Christ, we experience those same joys that was experienced in the hearts of the apostles and the disciples as they saw God the Father transform hearts. They saw sinners coming to repentance. And they saw the power of God on the earth with absolute control as it is in heaven. And much like those disciples, we experience the same sorrows when we see evil flourish, when we see the lost people that are in our lives rejecting Christ, when we see the cities that will not repent. 
so we can understand the at that time. And Jesus' response is telling. And there is great news for us in this passage. There's great hope as we read, as we remember his gracious invitation to the world. There's great encouragement for us as we remember that we are able by his grace to participate in the mission of Jesus to build his church. And in this passage, there are great reminders which fan the flames of our love for him and move us to walk in the good works that he has established since before the foundation of the world for us. Reminders to us to be salt and light in a lost and dying world and to lost and dying people that are all around us. So this morning in this passage, I want to focus on Jesus. Seems simple, but it can be missed. I want to look and see the Son of God who reveals the glory of God the Father, not only in his action, but in his very person. I want to look at the Christ who issues this passionate invitation to the world. I want to see the Savior and the Redeemer who desires to see lost people found, broken people healed, and weary and burdened people at rest. It's important because as the children of God and as the ministers of reconciliation in this world, we do not call sinners to faith in an idea. We do not call them to some mystical philosophy. We do not call them to some prosperous economic system. We do not call them to a powerful social or political party. We don't even call them to a religious life with high moral and ethical standards. We call them to a person. A person who is himself our salvation, our peace, our redemption. He is our all in all. He is our all in all. And to do that calling, we have to know him. We have it if you'll look at your bulletins on the front cover. It's the mission to know him and to make him known. But to do that, we have to know him. Not know about him. You can pull up Wikipedia and learn about him. But that won't get you anywhere. You have to know him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, which my Sunday school, I, I apologize for the duplication of what we've been studying for the last two weeks, but it's critical importance. As Jesus is concluding what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this warning. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Horrifying. I never knew you. 
and you don't know me. You do much, but you don't know me. In Luke's parallel account in chapter 10 of this passage, as the 70 return, again, filled with joy, their statement, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They have seen demons themselves cower and tremble at the name of Jesus, and they are overcome with joy of the power of God at work in their midst. And as they make this statement, Jesus reminds them in verse 20, this is Luke chapter 10. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. In what? That the spirits are subject to you. But rather, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice that I know you. Your name is written in my book. And you know me. You see, it's not what we have done. It's not what we will do. It's not what we know or what we will come to know. It's not how good we are or how good we will become. It's only that we know Him, or rather, that He knows us. Because as He said in John chapter 17, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, Father and Jesus Christ, the one whom you have sent. There is no more vital truth in the Christian life. You must know him. And in the Bible, when the word, is, the word that's used here in this passage for knowing, it's a matter of relationship. It's not intellectual attainment. It's personal rather than formal. It's intimate rather than distant. It's familiar rather than being far off. But we don't obtain knowledge from Wikipedia, from the Encyclopedia Britannica, from Google. Instead, our entire beings are united with Christ when we know him. Our intellect is intertwined with his. We think as he thinks. We interpret as he interprets. Our emotions are intertwined with his. We hate what he hates. We love what he loves. And our wills are intertwined with his. We do what our Father commands us to do because there's no option. This is a love relationship, and it's a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a set of rules. It's a person. And the beauty in this passage this morning is Jesus' revelation that we can, in fact, know him in this way. And not only does he say that it's possible, he issues an invitation into that relationship. Come. He initiates the relationship. He invites us in. So as we start today, that was the intro, if someone were to ask you, what is he like? What would you say? Do you know him? 
If I were to ask one of the married people in here to tell me, Adam, what's Kim like? He'd be able to give me an idea. He'd be able to describe the person that is Kim. Can you describe the person who is Jesus? In this passage, we're going to see some things about him. And I hope that it will help you understand not who he is, but who he is. Who he is to you on that personal, intimate level. And it does matter that we know who he is from this passage because he doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the rock that we can build our lives upon. The same Jesus that is speaking in Matthew chapter 11 from verse 25 to verse 30 is the Jesus that speaks to us today. He does not change so I want to just focus on three characteristics that we see vividly portrayed in this passage. His compassion, his generosity, and his gentleness. Jesus is sanctifier. He is healer. He is savior. He is coming king. But what's he like? compassionate without limitation. Come, verse 28. Come to me. All. All of who? All of you who are weary. All of you who labor. All of you who are heavy laden. All of you who are downtrodden, downcast, oppressed, weak, broken, suffering, failing, come. Who? All of you. He is compassionate for his people without restriction. And it's good that we know his compassion because if you read the verse that comes before verse 28, which is verse 27, he does say that no one can know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The beauty of this passage is we look at how is he? What's he like? He wills to reveal the Father to all who will come. To all of the broken people, there is all kinds of speculation on who exactly are these, depending on your version. Um, the New King James says those who labor and are heavy laden. Other versions say those who are weary. But it's all of this speculation. Is he talking about those people that are standing and listening to him that are under the yoke of the law of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious system? Is he speaking to those that are under the authority of the Romans who at this time have taken over their, their nation? Is he talking about the people who are slaves to their slave masters? Is he talking about the, the paralytics down by the pool of Siloam that have not been healed? Is he talking about the blind guy that was born blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? He's talking about all of them. 
The word is there for us to see it. All of you, all of you that are oppressed, all of you that are broken, all of you that are heavy hearted, all of you that are tired, tired of trying to run on the rat wheel and trying to get ahead and getting nowhere, trying to make yourself good enough for God to, to accept you, knowing you'll never arrive at that perfection. Trying to make yourself acceptable in the sight of the religious leadership that will never have you make the mark. Tired of your heart crying out to know your Creator, to know your purpose. Why do I exist? There has to be more. To you, He says, come. Which of you? All of you. Come. The only exclusion that is here, we see in verse 25. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, what a blessed way to approach His Father. Abba is the word in the original language. Father. It's the first time He ever does that. Father. Lord of heaven and earth. He is both. You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. These wise and prudent. Even so, Father, in verse 26, it seemed good. Those that are not sick don't need a doctor. Those that are self-reliant don't need a savior. Those that are self-righteous don't need to be forgiven. They exclude themselves because they refuse Him. And so the Father has hidden it from them. And so the Lord will hide it from you because He always does what His Father tells Him to do. So there's no limitation on His compassion. The restriction comes out of your own heart. You refuse to come. The invitation stands for all. Not only is he compassionate without limitation in these passages, just think of that. If you were, if you were God and you had, if you were, I'm trying to come up with some Bill Gates, billions and billions and billions, and um, the, the Prince William, the royals, um, you know, all the Queen Elizabeth, you, you had all of this and everybody just looked to you and clamored to you and you were going to have a dinner party. Who would you invite? Look who he invites. He doesn't want the rest of the duchess and the duchesses and the prince and the princesses and the barons and the baronesses. He wants the broken people off the street at his table. The duchess and the duchess don't have any need for him. That's how he is. He's not like me. He loves the broken people. He loves the unlovable people. How do I know that? How do I know that about him? Because I'm standing here. And I was not lovable. There was nothing good in me. But that's the kind of people he loves. That's the kind of people he calls to. Come. Come. He's generous beyond measure. You see in verse 28, after he issues that invitation... I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. It's not just in our salvation experience. It's not just the removal of our guilt and our shame. It's not just the atonement. It's not just that he was the propitiation of the wrath of God against my sin. He didn't just wipe the slate clean so that I could go, okay, I'm good now. I didn't get a do-over. I got a dead-over. I died. There was nothing to save without being reborn. So it's not just this clean slate, this fresh start, which we hear about in the world. Oh, no, 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 no. He does that, by the way. Your slate is clean. But in, 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 in God-like fashion, in Jesus-like fashion, he does more. He imputes his righteousness into you. There is this idea, I think, because of the way we, we talk, when you look at, at Jude, at the end of Jude, and it says that he will present you faultless and with great and exceeding joy before the Father, there's this idea that I am masked in Christ, that God can't really see me because if he actually saw me, I wouldn't be acceptable. I hope you don't think that because you have the righteousness of Christ in you. It's not Christ hiding you, it's Christ bursting through you. So when God sees you, he sees you. He knows that that is Josh and not Ron. He knows the better looking guy is standing there. But he sees perfection because the Lord Jesus Christ has imputed his essence into you. You are one with him. So you are not hidden from God. He can still see. You don't quit existing. It's the righteousness of Christ that is poured into you. His perfection, his perfect obedience, his perfect love, his perfect mercies, all that he is. So he doesn't just take your blame. He gives you what you cannot get for yourself, his righteousness. And in doing so, he takes your sin upon himself. You think of that when you think of what happened on that beam. He put on your sin. He enshrouded himself in your sin. No wonder he didn't want to drink from the cup. The perfect sinless Savior, in an act of extreme generosity, not only gave you his righteousness, he took your sin and adorned himself with it. The Bible describes it that he became sin. What a generous Savior. But the thing is, he doesn't stop there. That is done. He died once. He dies no more. There is no daily sacrifice. But in addition to that, he gives us, he gives rest. That's what, the, that's what it says. Come to me and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. 
Those of you that are weary, those of you that since the fall, when the creation was made and work was given as a blessing and it became a toil because of the fall of sin, I'll give you rest for your soul. That soul that was put in you by me. Read Romans chapter 1 as Paul describes it. We suppress the truth in our own hearts. We suppress the truth. It's not unknown to us. We actively push it down. And it's hard, is it not, Paul, to kick against the goads? It's hard when you've been made by a creator who is supreme in everything that he does for you to wrestle with him and fight with him and try to make your own way with him. And you spend your whole life fighting with him and wrestling with him and trying to make something of yourself. You become one of these that are described in the book as wise and prudent. You are wiser than God, smarter than God. I am able to save myself. I need no crutch. And he gives you rest. Rest for today. Rest for today. Rest forever. It's a promise that will be fulfilled when the time is filled. But it's a promise that is filled today. Are you at rest? Or are you still striving? Are you still wearied? Have you taken what God has given you in your salvation as the Galatian people did by grace through faith alone and are you now trying to set yourself up with God by your own work, by your own efforts? He gives you rest and that's the greatest gift. I can't even say that having just had the words come out of my mouth. They're all great gifts. And just as you get the greatest gift, he gives you another one that's even better. So he gives you all of these things, and he gives them to you. You don't earn them. You don't deserve them. You deserve quite the opposite. But he grants to us in his generosity, from the riches of his grace, from the storehouse of his mercies, he gives us rest. Rest like the nation of Israel didn't get. When they came to the border of Canaan, the land that was promised to their fathers, and they refused him. And he said this, you will not enter my rest. But for these that come, for these that are weary, for these that are heavy laden, for these that are broken hearted, for these that are wounded, for these that are oppressed, come and you will get my rest the rest you need for today, the rest you'll need forever. For it's my gift to you. A rest that this world doesn't even understand. I'll remove the enmity that you have with your maker and I'll restore you to that sweet fellowship that's described in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 where God had created everything that man would need and planted him in the garden and walked with him in the cool of the day. That's the rest you'll have today. And so we 
see that his compassion is unlimited. We see that his generosity is extraordinary. And then we see his gentleness. He describes it in verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being under the yoke, the people hearing this would understand there is being under the yoke of religious um, restriction under the yoke of the law is something they would specifically understand. It was something they willingly did, was yoke themselves under the laws of Moses. So the, the idea of a yoke is not an unusual um, metaphor for what Christ is talking about. But you'll notice he says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke. Not your yoke. Take my yoke, for it's easy, and it's light, and I'm gentle and lowly. I'm not a harsh taskmaster. How can his yoke be easy and light? You ever thought about that? He was crucified for our transgressions. He was rejected by his own family, his disciples, Abandoned him at his most hour in his hour of most need. How can that be light? He trusted in his father. When we live in this world and we see the things that are going on in the life of Christ or in the things that are going on in the life of a Christian, he trusted implicitly in his father. You have hidden these things. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will. He was not victim. He was victor. And he trusted his father. In all things, that is a light burden. Because you have behind those promises the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-loving creator God that has come from the throne of majesty that is indescribable, but we try in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator, he tries to describe what he's seeing, but he's overcome with it. It's too much. And there is the Father sitting on his throne in absolute majesty. And he condescends to look down on you. Who can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What? Is it that he won't do for you? He has given you his son. That is Jesus' light yoke. And it's easy. No, when you look at the life of Peter, you look at the life of John the Revelator, you look at the life of Jesus the Christ, in this world you will have tribulation. But fear not. I have overcome the world. 
what he says. It's easy to do that when you believe that you are in the hand of Almighty God and you cannot be removed. Do you know him that way? That's how he is. That's how he is. He is strength. He is not weakness. I am meek, your, your version may say this, for I am meek, I am gentle. He is not weak. This is the Jesus that knelt at the feet of his betrayer and washed his feet. This is the Jesus that knelt at the feet of his doubters and he washed their feet. This is the Jesus that set aside the glory of heaven and took on this earth suit to redeem you. And his burden is light. In this world, you will have temptation. You will have persecution. You will have difficulties. But they're light and they're easy in Christ. Because you know that no matter what happens in this life, you are in the hand of the Almighty. The apple of his eye. If you think of nothing else for the rest of this day, think about this. God's eyes are on you. And he cares. He's not distant. He's not apart. He knows. He knows the hurt that you feel right now. He knows. And he can remove those burdens. And that's the tenderness of Christ. That's the meekness of the Lord of glory who could stand amongst the people that thought it themselves so great and with supreme confidence Tell Pontius Pilate, you have no authority over me that is not given to you by my Father. You have no job that is not given to you by God. You have no employer that is not put in that position by God. He is supreme, and he knows. Do you trust him? Do you know him that way, that that's how he is, so when he says to us that my burden, my yoke, is easy and it's light, it's true. The beauty of the scriptures is they don't hide the reality of life being difficult. But you're more than just a sack of bones and flesh. Nevertheless, Father, not my will but yours. Learn from me. In the upper room, as he finishes washing the feet of the disciples, he reminds them, you call me master, and you are correct. If I, being your master, am willing to wash your feet, then you wash each other's feet. Learn from me. Know me and learn from me. This Jesus that speaks in these few verses, this is an absolute declaration of the sonship of Christ, of the messiahship of Christ. 
But more than that, it is an insight of depth into the person of Christ himself. Yes, only those he wills to reveal himself to will ever see him. But he's willing to reveal himself to all who will come. And he issues that call. Come. Come. Come to me, all of you. His compassion, his generosity, his gentleness, and his willingness to reveal the Father to everyone who will. To everyone who will. He is love. What's he like? He's love. What do you mean he's love? What's love? It's not like this world's love. He's long-suffering. Patient. Willing that none should perish. Willing to allow evil to exist in this world for the salvation of souls. He's willing to do that. Because he loves. He's kind. He doesn't parade himself or become puffed up with who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. He is God. And he never gets puffed up about it. We get puffed up because, you know, I'm the usher. Like that means something. His love is never puffed up. He's not rude. He doesn't seek his own. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He seeks the other. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He doesn't rejoice in sin. Instead, he rejoices in truth. He revels in truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. He is love. And he never fails. That's how he is. That's how he is. Is this the Jesus you know? Is this the Jesus you desire to make known? This Jesus who calls to the weary and the burdened, not to the rich and the famous. The one who calls out to the anxious and the depressed, the downtrodden and the brokenhearted, the oppressed and the defeated. This Jesus who came to seek and save that which was lost. This Jesus who is willing to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. This Jesus who is so gentle that he will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. This Jesus who stood silently before his accusers as a sheep before the shearer. This Jesus by whose stripes you were made whole. This Jesus whose name is exalted above all names and is seated at the right hand of the majesty interceding for you this morning. This Jesus who has received all authority on heaven and earth and below the earth 
and who has sent you into this world with a message of hope. And this Jesus who calls you this morning, come, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's a personal invitation to a personal Savior. And if you don't know this Jesus, today is the day of your salvation. If you have heard his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. Repent of your sin and come by faith to the one who is able and is willing to save you. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light and you will find rest for your soul. Father, I thank you that you have hidden this beautiful message from the self-reliant, from the pride-filled, from the arrogant, from the proud. And I thank you, Father, that you have revealed it to babes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will and you desire to reveal the glory of the Father to all who will come, to the broken, to the hurting, to the tired, to those that have reached the end of their ropes and are without hope, to the despondent, to those like Pilgrim whose burden was too great to bear. And you cry out to them, come, and I will give you rest. Lord, you are indeed a great Savior. And I thank you with all of my heart that you allow us to know you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that by your grace and by your mercy, our knowledge of you would grow deep so that we can make you known to this lost and dying world, to the weary ones in our lives, to the broken ones in our lives, to the hurting, to the oppressed, to those who are, Father, imprisoned by their own sin, imprisoned by false ideas and false philosophies. And I thank you that you do that. Lord Jesus, that you are building your church and it will prevail. We pray this, Father God, to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray it for your glory and for his sake. Amen. Please stand with us.